welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Faulkner-Barfield, and alongside me is the ever-respectful, the perfectly mannered, the exquisite etiquetted Mr. James Marwood. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I don't think I really live up to that description, but I try. But we all try, and that's my thing about The Perfect Gentleman, as long as we try. Yes, indeed. This is episode 71 of The Perfect Gentleman podcast, and today we have a sort of mannered and etiquette feel about today's podcast. But first, what gentlemanly news items have caught your attention, sir? This is somewhat tangential, but it was really interesting. The BBC have announced a new TV series called Gentleman Jack, but it's not about the whiskey. (laughs) It's about Anne Lister. Yes. So this is 1830s, so 19th century England, very stayed very traditional. She was a Yorkshire woman from a not very well-off aristocratic background, but she was an incredible character. She was a lesbian. She was one of the first women to be open and confident in her sexuality like that, and she got a lot of stick for it, as you would expect. I mean, she was, by all accounts, a very difficult person. She was quite cruel to her friends and lovers but she wrote these obsessive diaries which is the basis of this tv program i mean she wrote down everything what she ate how long it took her to walk to town she used a code to talk about her sort of sexual conquests she talked about really every aspect of her life in these detailed diaries which was largely born out of the fact that she was locked away for a lot of her childhood she was sent to boarding school and because she refused to conform they sort of locked her in an attic a lot of the time But just a really fascinating lady who had a fascinating life and just refused to give in, which I think is quite remarkable. And the reason why we talk about her nickname was Gentleman Jack. But yes, it's it's fascinating. And I I think it's an amazing piece of work. I think it's an amazing character. And it's one of those things where we have these amazing characters through history and we kind of forget about them or they disappear. And it's only when some lovely author or some lovely writer sees it and thinks oh that would be a great story and it comes to light i like the thing about her standing up to be counted in a period of time where it was not the norm by any stretch of the imagination it's really interesting actually there's an article on the bbc news website quite a long form article that talks about her history and her life but what's really interesting is that she teaches us a lot more about the sort of the 19th century And we have this image of terribly chaste relationships, you know, hand-holding and pressed flowers, (laughs) things like that. And it really wasn't like that. I mean, she had a great many conquests, uh, some of which she treated quite terribly, some of which treated her badly. There's sort of this detail to it about all these, uh, I mean, it's almost all girls in Malaysia, all girls in her account, that was her sexuality. But it just shows that there was not only this quite modern to our eyes, approach to relationships, but also that there was this community of gay women. There's a lovely quote there about, you know, she wasn't the only gay in the village. (laughs) And then you've got this all written down in code, and there are screenshots of the code from her diaries in this article on the BBC. It's fantastic. I mean, so this is total catnip to me. You know, you've got history, you've got code, you've got breaking societal rules, you've got people hopping into and out of each other's beds, and you've got dark secrets sort of being locked away and things like that. It's great. So I'm really looking forward to the TV show. But the article itself was really interesting. So even if 
If you're not a TV fan, I would recommend the article. It's really made me want to go and dig up her diaries and read them. We're really looking forward to the TV show. Like you, it really does intrigue me. She was a mountain climber. She decided, right, I'm going to go and climb that mountain and would hire a guide and go striding up it with a dress and a petticoats tied around her legs. You know, it's just a really, really interesting insight into a part of history you would almost never know. Exactly. I think it's fascinating. What's caught your eye then, Zach? This huge movie came out a few weeks ago. Marvel's final sort of uh, movie in its block of 22, Avengers Endgame. I think I saw something mentioned about that online. The, the odd reference to it, yeah. The odd reference to it, you know. It's only made a ton of money. It's only en- ended 22 movies run. You know, it's only three hours long. It's done lots of stuff and completed the sort of most ambitious crossover in cinematic history. But Avengers Endgame came out a few weeks ago. What's the interesting thing is, uh, and the, the, what I want to talk about, is spoilers. Yes. Because the movie does have some major, major events go into it. It's people's attitude to spoilers. I've seen the movie. You haven't yet, have you? I haven't, no. I'm probably going to wait until I can watch it at home. I will not spoil it for you, sir. Thank you. You are, after all, a gentleman. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it was very interesting. So I went to see it uh, the day it came out in London, because I'm a mad Marvel geek. And I was on the tube of the way back, and this guy was on the phone very loudly, and it was slightly inebriated, I, I gather, but very loudly giving away the spoilers on a very packed commuter train. And I almost wanted to go up to him and go, do you just realise you ruined the movie for half the room? If anyone wanted to see it, you've just ruined it. Because he gave away the two biggest spoilers in it. Oh, no one likes spoilers. If you choose to, to read them, that's up to you. But don't just randomly start telling people stuff in the middle of the street or on phones. And this comes back to also the, that thing about people having loud phone conversations and telling people stuff well, quite, yeah. about people's little private lives that you don't really want to hear on trains. But this is just an extension of that effect. Keep your opinions to yourself. Don't spoil movies or TV shows for people. I mean, currently Game of Thrones is happening. The last season of Game of Thrones is happening. Trying to tell people don't spoil that as well. People these days have got to contain themselves a little bit more, I think. Stop with the spoilers, ladies and gentlemen. Stop with the spoilers. I had a slightly close call with Line of Duty. I don't know if you've watched it. I have not. I know about it and same, same principle. I came to it quite late and I binged over about three weekends. I caught up and I was all set to watch the final episode live and then I had to pick up something to do with work so I couldn't get to it. One of my colleagues excitedly rang me to say, and I had to stop, stop, I'm don't tell me. If you tell me, I'm going to get really cross with you because I wanted to see it as it happens. And so I caught it on catch-up TV the next night. You just have to be careful with these things. Otherwise, you're spoiling someone's enjoyment, and especially something which is built over a series of time, like 22 films for Marvel or eight series for, for Game of Thrones or five series for Line of Duty. These are things people invest themselves in, and you're just taking away some of their enjoyment because of thoughtlessness. Which which brings us neatly on mm-hmm. to our, the main topic of today's podcast, which is sort of manners and etiquette. Yes. Manners and etiquette, specifically in the workplace. Yes. And there's a number of articles on both sides of the equations. So there's an article in an HR website called HR Dive, talking about uh, how etiquette requirements obstruct the talent pipeline. Mm. On the flip side of this, there's an article in the London's Evening Standard website, which talks about how schools are not 
teaching basic workplace skills and etiquette to the young people. What's your thoughts, James, on this? This this sort of etiquette and manners in the workplace. Can you, should you teach it? Does it hinder you? What's what's your thought process? The first thing is this HR Dive article, which really comes from an article in Business Insider about an executive managing editor at Business Insider who said that no thank you email for an interview means she won't offer a job to that person. I've recruited people for probably coming on 15 years. I would say thank you emails are the exception rather than the norm, at least in the UK, slightly different in the US. True. I like them. I think it's a good idea. However, in the modern recruitment process, you don't always have that direct connection to the hiring manager. You're dealing with recruiters, you're dealing with HR specialists, you're dealing with agencies, and so it's not always possible. But the point of the article, the thing that that HR Drive is getting to, and I think some of the arguments against that original article of Business Insider are getting to, is there are unwritten rules that people don't necessarily know, and then judging them against those rules is unfair. And I think... That's a really valid point. I've got a lot of sympathy with it. But there are certain points in your career in which the core rules shouldn't be a surprise to you. Mm. And especially if you have a job which involves contacting people outside of your own organization, so sales, consulting, providing professional services, dealing with the public, then expecting somebody to have those skills is not unreasonable. But what is unreasonable is, especially early on in someone's career, using these rules that they probably haven't been taught as a way to limit and cut off the pipeline. And I think part of that is because it's really tough to hire people. And it's really tough to make a judgment call on, especially for people who are younger, who are coming into their career, and you're really making a call on what their capability is and what their potential is. It's easy for a manager to put in what are, to me, some lazy rules that if they don't turn 15 minutes early or if they don't send a thank you note or if they don't stand when you shake their hand you know those are all things that you can teach it's pointless to try and put those sorts of rules in place for someone early in their career later in their career if if i'm hiring an experienced consultant then they're not able to get to a job interview on time or if they're not dressed appropriately or they're not prepared properly well that's going to be a mark against them i think it's reasonable at that point if someone's starting their career it's really not. I think you're right. That sort of falls neatly into the next point of that question. Of, therefore, are schools failing youngsters and not teaching them basic workplace skills and city etiquette for jobs? My personal opinion is I think they aren't. I think that's a really, it's a really big issue that I see when I lecture. You think they aren't failing them or they aren't teaching them? They are failing them. I think they aren't teaching them the skills. We're so driven by academics and tick boxes and results that they just don't know how to behave when they get to a work environment. I remember reading a study, and I'm trying to remember who did the study, but I think it was a, it was a well-respected study. It was saying that 83% of employers say that both school leavers and undergraduates, when they graduate from university, just aren't fit for the workplace. They don't know what to do and don't know how to behave. I take that point. I think there's probably something to it. It hasn't been my experience. I think anybody who comes into the workplace for the first time is going to be a little rough around the edges, as most of us are, I think, in our late teens, early 20s. But the guys I've spoken to have actually been pretty good in that regard. I interviewed an excellent candidate a couple of months ago. She was fantastic. I would have had no problems putting her straight in front of clients. Sadly, she decided to take a different offer rather than come and work for me, which I was quite disappointed by. But I could see why she she would have had a lot of interest. And she was 
21, 22, exactly the sort of person this is talking about. However, I have a vivid memory. This was at my work experience, so I would have been 14, 15. I don't know if they do this in other countries or if they even really do it now, but you would do a week or two weeks, it was, at my school, where they would send you to a company for two weeks to get some some work experience. I, at the time, was really interested in financial services, trading, that sort of thing. So they didn't know what to do with me, so I ended up at the accountancy department of the local water board. Because, of course, where else would you send someone who's interested in that sort of thing? But actually, it was a really good experience. But I remember being introduced to the head of the department, and I shook his hand sitting down, and he hauled me up by my hand and gave me a dressing down. A bit rude for him to do, for a 40-year-old head of department to sort of bully a 15-year-old kid. However, it stuck in my mind, and I've not made that mistake since. It's not just on schools and university to teach this stuff. Employers have to do it as well. And you have to accept that anybody at any stage of life, and I imagine this is this would be the same going right back to, you know, as long as people have been coming out of university and into business, people have been a bit rough around the edges until they get taught. But this brings us back to the point that they're just not taught at school. And is school, by their definition, not helping the youngsters by teaching them stuff. I mean, I try my best. But yes, they're rough around the edges, but it's trying to teach them the basics of, you know, what you should and shouldn't do and the attitude of turning up on time for a, you know. Yes, that's really valid. My attitude is when they turn up late for a class and I go, would you do this for a job interview? And they go, no. And I said, so what's the difference? And they're like, huh? I said, this is a job interview. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, who knows I might hire you. Yeah. But I'm not going to hire you if you're consistently late. Well, indeed. And you'll also be asked to give references for people. And you never know where the opportunities might come from. There are things that are really part of someone being taught how to socialise, how to be a, a useful, productive member. One of the things, for example, that I often struggle to find are people who can work really, really well with teams. That's one of the concerns I do have about the way that universities are preparing universities and schools, because I'm not just interested in graduates. I also hire people from, from school or from college. I wouldn't would hire someone at 16, but I would at 18. How are they able to interact with a team? Can they work by themselves? Great. Can they work without, with, without constant direction? Great. But can I put them in a group of people who are different experiences, different skills, different motivations, and expect them to gel well with that team and move towards a common shared goal? Manners and etiquette build towards that and allow that to happen. So there probably is something to be said. Maybe I'm, uh, I need to go back on my previous statement a little bit. I'd like to see people coming out of university or at school perfectly ready to go into the workplace. I don't think that's a realistic expectation. I think there's always going to be something that employers have to do. I think employers have to accept that they need to invest time and attention in bringing on graduates. But that's just part and parcel of being an employer. Absolutely. I think that's really true. But I think everyone's responsible. Yes. I think schools are responsible. I think the employers are responsible. One of the other articles, and we sort of there's a load of articles we're reading around the subject. The CEO of Credit Safe Group, a Kato Sveisen, Sveisen, Swedish, talks about banning mobile phones and laptops from meetings because it's distracting and counterproductive and i frequently agree with him mobile phones and laptops do not make you concentrate because we're so easily distracted by the beeps and the the notifications that doesn't help people's attention i have some sympathy with both views i think a lot of it depends on the culture of the organization that you are you are in and the nature of the the meeting i have people who not take through their laptops i'm doing some work at the moment with a heavily 
focused digital organization. They are real experts in building digital products and services that are used by millions of people on a daily basis. I'm unusual when I go into their meetings because I'm the only one writing notes on paper. Yeah. Everyone else is taking notes on computer or on phone. And those guys are really switched on in their meetings. You know, nobody's distracted there. They're all very, very driven. But that's the culture of that organization. Yeah. Contrast that with, I had a difficult time with doing some work in a telco, a large international telco a few years ago. I literally had to insist that people put their phones away. And these were quite senior managers. These weren't graduates, these weren't kids. These were guys in their 40s and 50s who were doing other things and derailing meetings as a result. There's a skill to using these types of devices and there's a skill to maintaining your engagement and your productivity. I think if somebody's not taken the time to invest in that and if generally the organisation doesn't, banning them is probably the only answer. I think that's very true. So to wrap up, I like this one, this is, and we can go through these. There's a few things on this. 25 etiquette mistakes you need to stop making by 30. I'm a few years north of 30. So am I, but I'm not all of our listeners are. I'm just wondering how many of these am I still doing? Yeah, let's, let's find out. Sharing embarrassing stories in a toast. Is that about the other person? Yes. Right, yes, absolutely. There's a bit to be said for... A little bit of self-deprecating humor at your own expense is a way to building relationships. Don't do it to other people. That's not fair. Uh, unless you're amongst a very good group of friends and you know it's a roast, not a toast. Yes. Uh, sneezing into your hands. Yes. And then wiping your hands on your trousers always my favorite. I guess into your hands is preferable to just generally into the air. But yeah, into your elbow, into a tissue. Turn yourself away, those sorts of things. Using your napkin to blow your nose? That's a bit grim. You and I will always carry handkerchiefs. Indeed. Even if you don't, just excuse yourself and go to the bathroom. Or... Setting your phone on the table. It's quite common these days. It, I, I think it also depends on the situation. I think certainly at dinner, it's not ideal. In a meeting, it depends on the context. Again, I think like the culture of the meeting. But it is interesting, actually, that there is something to be said for if a phone is visible in a conversation, I think you get a little bit less engagement in that conversation, even if it's not doing anything. If I have my phone on the table, I'm talking to someone, I get a notification, that interrupts the flow of that conversation. Even if neither of us consciously look at the phone, it's still an interruption. Yes. Uh, starting fun conversations about politics. The only time it's a fun conversation is when you know the people very well in my book. <laughs> Politics and religion. There's a reason that those topics are banned in conversations between Freemasons. It's because it leads to discord between brothers. Politics and religion are not for workplace conversations, definitely. No. Using emojis in your work emails. Hell no. Ah, see, it depends. It depends for me. Who am I talking to? Like, I have my, my colleagues, the guys I work with really closely, day in, day out. And we communicate across a number of different channels. So we'll be sending each other texts, we'll be sending each other emails, we'll be using Microsoft Teams messages. And there are times when, for example, if somebody does me a quick favor, you know, I'm in a hurry, I'm rushing someone does me something, I might well reply with thanks, smiley emoji. But that's someone I've got an informal relationship, and that's someone I'm working with day in, day out. I would never do that to a client or a senior or somebody I didn't have that relationship with. Emojis are, I think, valid communication. You've just got to use them appropriately. They are informal, just like you wouldn't in French. You know, you'd be very careful about whether you're using the to or vous form. In English, it kind of builds in that type of need to understand your relationship with the person you're talking to. I might disagree with you on that. I get it on quick message conversations. Yeah. 
but as an email, I'm always really conscious about emails. We've had this conversation before, I know. I'm really conscious about emails because emails are the equivalent to letters and emails are legitimate binding contractual things. If you write an email, it is a contractual obligation when a text message is not. I have sympathy with that. I think probably what I'm doing is I'm separating the type of message from the medium. So some of the emails I'm sending, I'm actually using email like I am. Yes. And some model email clients lend themselves to that. I mean, they're designed to be used that way. I see your point. It's just not the way that I necessarily do it. Yes, yes. No, no, absolutely. Um, Sending error-filled text or emails from your phone, if it's a work context, hell no. Absolutely. I often get these messages where people say, excuse the brevity or mistakes, it's being sent from a phone. Your phone's got spell checking. Your phone's got better spell checking probably than your computer. Use it. Absolutely. Using handshake as a show of dominance, well, you shouldn't do that anyway, so... No. Schoolboy childish nonsense. Posting everything you do on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's your profession, stay clear. It's interesting, actually, because this article says about teens may post their breakfast bedtime routine and everything in between. I see exactly the opposite. I think that, you know, the young guys I deal with are much more savvy. And so they're really careful and really edit what they post online because they know they've grown up with it. And they know that something you post can come back and bite you in the bum later. Whereas I see things that Facebook throws up to me that I maybe posted 10 years ago that I think, why did I write that? Don't post everything you do on social media. Be circumspect. Sitting when in being introduced to someone... This is a personal bugbear. I don't like that. No, I think it's only polite to stand. Unless you physically can't get up from where you are. You know, you're blocked in and you can't get up. But it's very rare. Kissing a woman's hand is a greeting. I can't remember the last time I've done it. Not in jest with friends? Yeah, me neither. Uh, I mean, certainly never in an office setting. No. The, you know, the article talks about, about hugs. I, I can think probably people I've hugged at work... You know, people I've worked with for five years, you know, I'm saying goodbye because I'm moving on to another company. Yeah, then, or somebody's, you know, had some terrible personal news and, they, you know, and I'm wanting to comfort them. Then, but I think of maybe two or three occasions in 20 years I've done it. Exactly. I'm going to skip through a few. Showing up with an uninvited guest, no one should never do that. No, that's not fair. Waiting here to acknowledge wedding gifts, maybe a little bit long. <laughs> Okay, yes, that's a bit a bit wide. There's one here that I think is interesting. Leaving your earphones in when talking to someone. Oh, I keep have, picking up my students on this. Tap their ears and go, take them out. Absolutely. It's so rude. It is. It's especially troubling. It's headsets and earphones become more discreet. You end up sort of, is that person listening to music? Are they talking to someone on the phone? Are they talking to me? You know, how does that work? You know, you've got to give the person you're talking to your full attention. Absolutely. It's a very common thing now. Uh, using your speakerphone in public places. Don't do it. I thought the boombox had died. Yeah. That was my... <laughs> I loathe that. It's just... No. No. Now, here's an interesting one here. Answering a thank you with no problem. Uh, it depends on the thank you. It depends on who. Is it a friend? I'm, it depends on the context of what the thank you's for. Indeed. You're welcome, or my pleasure, is slightly more formal and certainly more pleasant. But to me, no problem. It means the same thing as I'm glad to, or don't mention it. I would generally say my pleasure or you're welcome with people I don't know very well, but but anyone I know very well, I don't always say it, but no problem's quite important. Absolutely. Texting during a movie one, which is on there, uh, hell no. I was in Avengers Endgame and this chat was texting next to me and i said to him please turn off your phone and he said oh i'm looking for my friend and i'm like going 
when the movie's about to start and there's no seats in the place, put your phone away. Good. Anyway, well, if you've got any other etiquette bugbears that you'd like to let us know about, please feel free. Drop us an email at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or contact us on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for The Perfect Gentleman or contact either James or I directly. We hope you're having a fabulous month of May. We certainly are having a spring in our step and we're looking forward to making... Uh, our May manners perfect for you. Thank you once again, James, for uh, always a pleasure talking to you, sir. You're very welcome, Zach. And it's always fun to come and talk about these and rant about things like etiquette and manners. Uh, so remember your manners when you go out in the world. I am Zach Falkner Barfield, 1PG, and alongside me, as ever, is the gorgeous and delightful Mr. James Marwood. We wish you well. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.